0: Welcome back. MTN Nets podcast. Uh, I'm sorry for the late reaction, but I had people over all day. So just did not not have time to make this video. But uh, yeah, so the Nets dropped game one. Game one was no fun, but Philly takes it by 2121 to 101. And Philly got good performances from just about everybody. I can't think of a sixer that played a bad game. Uh, Joel Embiid was constantly double teamed it seemed like he made the right decision just about every time he had a couple plays he threw the ball out of bounds but aside from that he was pretty much flawless in his decision making and shooting wise Embiid was seven for 15 and made every free throw so he was pretty effective there as well James Harden you know seven of 13 from three that was the killer quarter two James Harden went off he made like four threes in a row so that was crazy but yeah, the Nets may have to make some adjustments. I was a fan, if you listen to my preview of this series, of doubling Joel Embiid and seeing how the rest of this Sixers supporting cast would react. And I think we got our answer today. We saw that their supporting cast can make their shots. They made them at a pretty high rate. And the Sixers also beat the Nets in a lot of other areas, including second-chance points, you know, offensive rebounds, and things like that. So we'll touch on all that stuff what happened in Game 1, and I'll talk about at the end what needs to change in Game 2 and going forward in this series. Hope you guys enjoy the video. Leave a like, subscribe, and let's get into it. So on the net side of things, I mean, they got a really good performance out of Mikel Bridges, 12 of 18. He had 30 points overall. I think he had 23 at half, so his second half was not as impressive, but I do think Philly paid a lot more attention to him and did not let him get his shots off, so... Somebody else had to step up, and that was part of the problem in this game. Is that not enough guys around Mikael Bridges stepped up offensively, and that, of course, is, you know, Cam Johnson played well. I got to say, Cam Johnson was good, but Spencer Dinwiddie did not step up. Nick Claxton was not that great, to be honest. Royce O'Neal was not good at making his shots today. Joe Harris is. Borderline useless. We'll get to him later. I have a lot to say about Joe Harris, but um, yeah. I mean, Seth Curry made his shots, but I feel like there was just too much pressure on Mikel Bridges to make everything happen, especially when Dinwiddie is playing this poorly. um It does put a lot of pressure on Mikel Bridges, so that definitely makes sense. But for Dorian Finney-Smith, only 18 minutes, which I did not realize—that's actually not a lot at all for him. Was two of two from three, so you do like that, of course, but. That was just about it. Um, he guarded James Harden for a lot of this game, and, of course, Harden made a lot of shots over him, so it is what it is, and I was kind of thinking that Mikkel Bridges would draw the assignment on um, on James Harden, but that was not the case. I mean, it was for some possessions, but I think Finney Smith was, like, the main guy they wanted on James Harden. Now, Cam Johnson gave us a good game, 7 of 11, 4 of 6 from 3. Uh, 18 points total he was solid he definitely you know made some big shots I feel like he had a couple threes where Harden made a three and then uh, Cam Johnson responded right back with another three of his own so he was keeping the Nets in the game for a while so I give Cam Johnson a lot of credit of course he's in a contract year so playing well in this series and possibly beyond that is big for him and his uh, potential paycheck but anyway Nick Claxton did reach the 30 minute mark he was two of four one of two at the line, ten rebounds, um, only five points, a minus twenty. And I think Joel Embiid I, um absolutely got the better of him. It did help that the Nets doubled Embiid every time, but there was even a play in like, you know, right in front of the basket basically in the paint where Embiid just backed down Claxton did like one of those drop steps and he was just right there for an easy layup and it was like Claxton wasn't even there so yeah I mean I think Claxton's had better games defensively but you know he did have some nice plays as well I think he blocked James Harden I want to see what did Claxton have blocks wise Claxton had three blocks so I mean that's pretty good obviously but this was not like the best Nick, uh, Nick Claxton game I think you know we can agree on that Spencer Dinwiddie I would say it was probably the most disappointing net. He played the most minutes, 36. Mikel had 34. Dinwiddie was 5 of 12, 1 of 5 from 3, 3 of 5 at the line, had 7 assists, had 4 turnovers, which was the the killer. And he had about 3, maybe 4 lob passes, you know, supposed to be alley-oops that were just terrible passes. And I, I saw that a lot on Nets Twitter talking about... Spencer Dinwiddie's inability to throw lobs which you know he's not at the same level that obviously like Kyrie was when doing that stuff but I don't know I feel like you know Dinwiddie is now 30 years old he's been in the league for a while Um, maybe this is just some weird part of his game that he's just not good at so I I don't know what it is but it was definitely evident today and you know some of these alley-oops to Claxton and I think maybe Dayron once I mean they were just too out of reach and you know Claxton may have got a, a fingertip on it and It was just a turnover, so yeah, you can't have that if you're Dinwiddie, especially after all the beef that happened between him and Kuzma. To come out in this game and play like that, it was definitely disappointing, so I don't know. I think Dinwiddie might have put too much pressure on himself. I mean, his shots early on were just bricks, to be honest with you. He had to pull up three early in the game, and he missed it badly, so I mean, yeah, maybe there was just too many nerves, but he's been in this position before, so I don't know what to think, but yeah, I would not bet against Dinwiddie. I would think he bounces back, so he definitely needs to play much better for this team to, uh, you know, win a game here. Royce O'Neal played 28 minutes off the bench. No surprise, two of five. He was over three from three, so you know when Royce is not making a three, that's definitely a killer. Um, he missed one, where I think the Nets got an offensive rebound. I think it was on the Claxton missed free throw. Somebody got the offensive rebound, might have been DFS. He kicked it out to a wide open Royce O'Neal, top of the key three-pointer, and he missed it pretty badly. So that would have been a big shot to like cut it to maybe a five or six-point game. But yeah, Royce wasn't noticeably good in this game, so that was another issue. He was a minus 13. Joe Harris, who, as I said, I did want to spend time on Joe Harris, he has had his moments for the Nets, obviously, you know, not just this year, but even in the past. But, you know, playoff Joe is not something that I feel like dealing with right now. He was able to thrive on the Nets in the playoff series when the big three was healthy versus Boston because he was just that guy. Like, there was so much attention, obviously, on Harden, KD, and Kyrie, and Joe Harris was just there for open three-point shots, and he was making them. But, of course, in that next series when guys uh, guys got injured, of course, and, you know, Joe Harris was supposed to step up, he was terrible, and we saw some of the same things today, how when Joe Harris was not open, he was not doing anything, he missed two three-pointers, he made his first from the corner, he was wide open, so I'm happy he made it, but aside from that, if Joe Harris did not have an open three, it was just one dribble and a handoff, or two dribbles and a handoff, and like, that is not giving us anything offensively, because like, He's not even penetrating to the rim. He's not putting pressure on the defense. I mean, yeah, they have to stick with him because he's a good shooter. But Joe Harris has proven to be useless in the playoffs when he doesn't have open threes. And even in the playoffs, sometimes when he has open threes, he's not making them. So, if it were me, I would put Cam Thomas over Joe Harris going forward. We saw Cam Thomas at the end of this game for four minutes. And I know that... Joe Harris has been around for a long time. He's been in the league now for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it's been. But the knock on Cam Thomas is inexperienced. He's young, um, not a good defender. He's not the best playmaker yet. But Cam Thomas gives you way more than Joe Harris would give you. And I feel like the drop off defensively from Joe Harris to Cam Thomas is not that bad. I understand Joe is bigger. I think Joe is listed at uh, 6'5 or 6'6. And I think Cam... Is not six five or six six. I forget what Cam is exactly. I'll look it up quickly. But you know what I mean. Like th- there's not that big of a drop off. Cam is six three two ten, so he's close enough. But there's not a big enough drop off from Joe Harris to Cam Thomas defensively where I'm that worried about it. And I think we saw it in this game they put up 101 points which is not good in today's nba obviously in the playoffs teams do score less it feels like because teams are playing more intense defense and you know refs don't give as many free throws in the playoffs normally but the nets obviously needed another scoring option there was way too much on michael bridges plate to make things happen And that, of course, correlates with Dinwiddie having an off game. Um, You know, Cam Johnson had to make basically all of his shots to keep the Nets in that game. And even Finney Smith did not miss a three, so that was good. But you need another guy who can put pressure on Philly's defense, and Joe Harris cannot do that. Um, I thought Seth Curry was okay. Um, Obviously, in the regular season, Seth Curry's had his ugly moments, but... He's also had times where he's had really good games, and Seth Curry was one of those few guys in the Boston series last year when they got swept where he was pretty good. I feel like Seth Curry showed up, and especially the first two games in Boston, I feel like he showed up and made his shots, and he was good today, played 16 minutes. He have a, he was four or five from the field, two or three from three, but obviously with Seth Curry, you're not getting much else, um, you know, not a good defender, of course, but You know, still, for a a pure shot maker, a guy who is kind of cold-blooded in that way, I feel like Seth Curry can make the big shots, and Joe Harris cannot. And at least with Seth Curry, he can shoot off the dribble, he can create separation... And when you're talking about Joe Harris, he does not do those things. You know, Joe Harris does not create separation. He does not normally shoot off the dribble. Um, maybe if he's wide open, he will once in a while. But Seth Curry is way better in those tighter areas than Joe Harris is. So I don't mean to, like, you know, shit on Joe Harris too much. I do love Joe. But it's just, like, I don't see how playing him, especially playing him and Seth Curry, which is kind of a Jock Vaughn thing. We'll get to that. But playing them together was a recipe for failure I don't know why they would do that like I I feel like we've seen enough this year in the regular season of Seth Curry and Joe Harris on the floor at the same time and it does not work out too well so I don't know why Jock Vaughn insisted on doing that but that was part of the plan here in this game I mean I get the Nets don't have the most depth in the entire league but it just seems stupid and Edmund Sumner couldn't get more minutes or Cam Thomas couldn't get minutes So at least the only guy not playing today was Patty Mills. So, I mean, I'm fine with that, but it's kind of annoying that they just give Joe Harris the minutes and if they don't make a change, I am going to be annoyed. I mean, maybe, you know, if they scheme more things to get Joe Harris open shots, then yeah, I can understand it. But the way they were running the offense today for most of the time, unless it was like out of timeout, um... You know, Joe Harris was not being schemed for to make open shots. You know, like Joe Harris, as I said, had one open look today. The other two threes he missed, he was kind of forcing them, and he missed them pretty badly. So I would prefer Cam Thomas. He's going to put pressure on the defense. He can get in the lane, make the floaters. He can make those tough fall away jump shots from 10, 15 feet out. Um, He's been a better three-point shooter this year. He's been an improved playmaker from last year to this year. I would play Cam Thomas. And Cam Thomas, by the way, he just has that cold blooded type vibe. Like, remember the Summer League? I know it's Summer League, it's not the NBA playoffs, like, obviously. But that guy just plays with no fear. Like, I love that about Cam Thomas. He does not give a damn. Like, he's just one of those cold blooded guys. So, he made that huge shot against the Knicks last year when everybody was hurt and the uh, Nets made that big comeback at the Garden. Like, I feel like Cam Thomas has that in him where, like, he's a big shot maker and Joe Harris is the opposite to be honest. So yeah, I want to see Cam Thomas get Joe Harris's minutes. And if it goes that badly defensively, okay, you know, at least you try. Like don't like this was kind of like I it, it kind of reminded me of the Blake Griffin situation last year. And of course last year The Nets had a center rotation of Andre Drummond, who they got from Philly in the Harden trade. He was the starting center. At that point, Claxton was the backup center. But Andre Drummond played like complete garbage in the Celtics series, like a lot of guys did. But still, I mean, Drummond was just unplayable. He couldn't even get rebounds, which is the one reason you played Drummond in the first place. But Steve Nash did not... I mean, this is Steve Nash. He was terrible. But Steve Nash did not put in Blake Griffin until the late third quarter i think of game three i mean you can't wait that long and i feel like cam thomas is trending towards that direction which i don't want i mean this is the playoffs you have to make you know quick decisions pull the plug early there's no time for patience all right like you saw what joe harris gave you today he looked pretty lost so pull the plug put cam thomas in there hope he gives you more offensively Hope that the defensive drop-off's not too badly. You add more athleticism. You add more of a playmaker. You add more of a score. I don't see why not. So personally, I'm putting Cam Thomas in there. But knowing the Nets, they probably won't do that. So that's a disappointing part. But anyway, team stats. We'll touch on that next because I know that that was a big discrepancy in this game. Um, This is the frustrating part. Field goal percentage-wise... The Nets shot 12% better, 12.5% better, 55% to 47% from the field. The problem is that Philly had 19 more shot attempts. That's an issue. Three-pointers. The Sixers made 21, the Nets made 13. The Sixers also had 14 more attempts from three. Free throw percentage, that was also a bit of a discrepancy. I mean, they took almost about the same free throws. Uh, Philly took one more. But Philly was 16 of 16 at the line. So credit to them, but the Nets were 10 of 15 at the line. So Philly made six more free throws. The Nets got out-rebounded by three, but on the offensive boards was the big difference. I mean, Philly had 14 offensive rebounds, and it felt like a lot of those came in the first quarter, and the Nets only had five. So they were out-rebounded on the offensive side by nine rebounds compared to Philly. Philly had nine more assists. Philly had 11 more steals. The Nets had 20 total turnovers. That's terrible. Can't have that in the playoffs, especially. Um, The Nets did have more points off turnovers by 20, which is, like, shocking. So the Nets definitely took advantage when they had turnovers. But um, the problem is that they had a lot more turnovers than Philly did. Points in the paint was even kind of close. I mean, once again, Embiid got doubled just about every time. But Philly only had two more points in the paint. Even Paul Reed was having a great game. He had that awesome between-the-legs move for that layup. So that was cool um, to see for Philly fans. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was just it was a weird game. I I don't know how to describe it. And I don't know what else to feel going uh, towards Game 2. I feel like... Because part of me is like, okay, Philly had a a franchise record and three-pointers made it in, the, in a playoff game. Is this just, like, a a lucky game, an outlier? Like, some of the James Harden shots he was making, I don't think he'll make them the rest of the series. But still, I mean, the Nets were not covering these guys from three. Like, that's the problem. And I think the Nets, honestly, in the first half, did a really good job defensively of doubling Embiid and rotating on defense. But once the third quarter came around and James Harden got hot in the late second quarter, things kind of fell apart. So... I did like the game plan. I liked the idea of doubling Embiid, but I think they need to be a bit more loose about it. And what I mean by that is like when I made my preview video, I was specifically saying that they should double Embiid when he's like on the block in those type of areas or just close to the basket. I feel like they were doubling Embiid even when he was on the three-point line or at the foul line. Like I don't want to double him in those type of areas because I think if you're the Nets... Although he's a really good shooter, and I think Embiid was making his jump shots today. He made a three. You want to force him into into jump shots. You don't want Embiid to destroy you down low. So if I'm the Nets, I still am doubling Embiid, but only when he's on the block and close to the basket. If he's like more than 15 feet away from the basket, I'm letting him go one-on-one. And hopefully in most of those cases, it's Claxton. If there is a, m- a mismatch, you're, you might have to send two guys. If, if Dinwiddie for some reason or, you know, someone like Royce O'Neill or DFS is stuck guarding Embiid at the foul line, you may have to send another guy because that's just how dominant he is. But, you know, once again, I don't know how to look at this. Is this just a, a great outlier scoring game from three for Philly or are the Nets screwed because Philly is just a much better team talent-wise? You know, I, I think both can be true, obviously. So, while Philly is not going to make that many threes, maybe for the rest of the series, um, they are going to get better looks because they have the most dominant guy on the floor and by a lot. So, it is what it is. There's a talent discrepancy. Doc Rivers is a better coach than Jock Vaughn. So... I don't know. I'm curious to see what the game plan is for the Nets. I I don't want to see them do the exact same thing. I would hope they change things up a bit. Maybe you do a complete 180. Maybe the Nets in the next game let Joel Embiid go one on one, but by doing that, they limit the other guys around him and they you know pay more attention to Harden, pay more attention to Tobias Harris, pay more attention to I don't I don't want to say PJ Tucker even though he was two of five from three but pay more attention to Tyrese Maxey, uh, pay more attention to McDaniels and Niang and, and all those guys, like pay more attention to everybody else. So yeah, maybe they play more one-on-one against Embiid in game two, but hopefully by doing that, you limit the amount of open looks for the other guys on that team. So Philly had a lot of guys that made three-point shots today um, you can't have that. Even DeAnthony Melton was two of seven. I think he made two of them early in the game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was frustrating for the most part because it's like I felt like they were playing good defense, but at the same time, it too many times it led to the Sixers getting wide open looks. And, like, these are NBA players. They're going to make them. And I think Philly, they were either first in threes made or three-point percentage. I feel like they were first in threes made. I could be right, could be wrong, but they were up there. So, yeah, this team can make threes. But, you know, once again, my biggest thing is Camp Thomas over Joe Harris. It's not guaranteed to work, but it has a lot more potential upside than Joe Harris. And, you know, even playing Edmund Sumner, I mean, I don't know whose minutes he would take exactly because I I still think you play Dinwiddie, of course, at starting point guard. And I do like the idea of Seth Curry as long as he's not sharing the floor with Joe Harris. You know, I, I think Seth Curry along with um Seth Curry along with Cam Thomas that might not be the right move but as long as you keep one of the starters I don't know they have to mix it up somehow like I think playing Seth and Cam Thomas that might not be a good idea but if you're playing Dimwitty and Cam Thomas and if you're playing like you know Seth Curry and Mikel Bridges then that can work so they just have to find the right mixture and hopefully they figure that stuff out um I don't want to give up yet But I do know that the Nets are not in a good position right now. Um, I think right now Philly is a minus 9.5 for Game 2. So you don't want to see that. But I do think if the Nets play a good game and a close to a perfect game, they can win. Like They can definitely take a game or two in this series. I still think the Sixers win it all. But still, they can take a game or two here. They just have to be more locked in on the defensive end. And even offensively, they just need more playmakers. And you have one guy who's a playmaker on the bench who only played four minutes today. And once again, I get he's young. I get he's inexperienced. But he's a much better playmaker than just about any other person not named Dinwiddie or Bridges on this team. So I'm putting Cam Thomas in there. I would give him close to 20 minutes. I really would. So, and the thing with Cam is, like, he can explode at times like we've we've seen even the last game of the season against philly it was their bench but cam thomas had like 46 points so you know he's had four i think four four 40 point games this year i mean like just play the guy i, I understand it's it has some risk but you are pretty big underdogs in this series like you have nothing to lose everything to gain if you play cam thomas and it works so it just adds an extra wrinkle, possibly, to this series if Cam Thomas comes in and plays well, and Philly may not know what to do at first. It might take Philly a full game to be like, oh, crap, what do we do with Cam Thomas? So I would put him in there. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I, I would just make that change. But anyway, it's pretty much all I got. Game two is Monday night. Um, I don't feel confident about winning, but... You know, the thing is, I don't know, because Jock Vaughn is even inconsistent game to game. And another thing with uh, Jock Vaughn, he did pull the starters pretty early. I think with five minutes to go down by maybe 16 or so, he pulled all the starters, which is like, you know, is that a bit too early? I mean, for a playoff game, I would argue, yeah. I mean, I don't think the Nets were coming back in that game, obviously, but I just feel like, man, it's the playoffs. Like, keep your starters in there. I don't know why you would pull your starters in that situation. Um Yeah, they were down 16 with five minutes to go. And a day off tomorrow, of course. So, yeah, I I don't know why they, you know, why Vaughn made that decision so easily, but I guess it is what it is. But hopefully Game 2 is different. You got to you know, play better defense. You have to find better ways to include playmakers on offense. I don't think the shot making was that bad once again. The Nets shot well. Like their field goal percentage was good, but even Philly getting the offensive rebounds and second chance points and the P.J. Tucker tip outs, you can't have that stuff. So they have to find, you know, a way to box guys out, find where P.J. Tucker is, get a body in front of him and and secure the rebounds. They have to do better at that stuff. So if they can do all that, I expect game two to be closer, hopefully. So we'll, f- we'll find out what happens, but I'll talk to you guys after that. Hopefully they can knot this thing up at one-to-one going to Brooklyn, but it could be a long shot. We'll see. Hope you guys enjoyed the video, and I'll talk to you guys next time.